Again, welcome, and if you're watching online, we're glad that you're uh, tuning in with us live right now in this moment, and uh, we're getting ready to jump into God's Word. Uh, i tell you what, last week, my wife and I had a chance to celebrate a, a wedding anniversary, 22 years. I've been married to this woman. I love, I love uh, the life. I love the family. I love the relationship that God has blessed us with, and so thank you for that. That's great. Um, it's been amazing. I love how our love has matured and grown over the years as we've been married. We got married young, and uh, quite honestly, in those early years, there were some rough patches. I mean, five years of dating with one of those being an engagement, um, and just looking back on those first few years as a, as a young married man, going, I was such a bonehead, man, as a, as a young buck, you know, and, and uh, she was flawless, of course. It was all my fault. Um, but we had some, you know, the, the typical stuff that young couples deal with, there was selfishness in the mix, and there was, you know, um, immaturity in the mix, but we were also plagued in our relationship with insecurity, with insecurity. Man, we just had that dynamic that, uh, man, we were, oftentimes there was a, other people were a threat to our relationship or there was suspicion or, you know, uh, just always uh, scrutinizing all the little, you know, you were late or what happened here. And just, man, those types of dynamics would steal just the joy and the peace and the intimacy and the vitality out of our marriage. And so thank God, just through uh, getting into scripture and prayer and being committed to each other through, um, Man, getting influenced by other godly couples and some marriage mentors through some counseling. Um, and God just really has, for the most part, purged our relationship of that type of insecurity. And some of you know that nasty taste of insecurity in your relationships. And you know what it's like to, to live in torment that the person you're with is maybe, maybe they're going to, you know, find someone better or something better. They're, you know, you're waiting for the hammer to drop or they're going to come home or not come home and, 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 and the torment that that brings your life. Some of you know the, the, the pain of insecurity from the other end. That as a person of integrity, you know, your, your character is being challenged, your intentions are being challenged, and it brings great frustration and anger in your life. And, and you're just like, man, you know, this is crazy. I have no intent to do so. I'm committed to this. And, and, and just messes with the dynamics of your relationship. And it robs you of the potential intimacy and joy and peace and connectedness that that relationship will happen. Well, it's one thing. And those insecurities are in your relationship. And by the way, if that's the case, man, I, I encourage you, man, seek God and through prayer and through the power of Scripture, bathe that relationship in just uh, godly principles. Man, uh, get together with some godly couples, get some counseling to help navigate you through that. But going through that type of dynamic of insecurity with a person is one thing. It's another thing when we go through it with our relationship with God. It's another thing when we experience insecurity with our relationship with God. Because for some of you, um, you're plagued with insecurity when it comes to the Lord. And you're missing out on the peace and the intimacy and the power and the vitality that the Savior offers you through relationship. And you think at some point, He's just going to let go of you. You're plagued by the thought that God will stop loving you. And even though you are a child of God, that one day he's just going to write you out of his, his eternal will and give up on you, or he's going to revoke your salvation somehow. And so I know that in a group this size, and especially thinking about the people watching online, there's got to be a significant amount of you that go, that's me. That's me. I've wrestled with moments of insecurity in my relationship with God that at some point he's going to let go of me. Well, as we continue in this series, Right With God, going through this amazing book of Romans, we're entering into a section of passages of Scripture that are going to speak right to this, that are really going to help um, 
align our heart and our mind with an understanding of the power of God's love and his grip on our life. And so in order to do that, I want to to set us up well. And so would you repeat the statement with me? I live securely in God's grip because he chooses me, redeems me, and holds me. That was a good warm-up. Now I want to hear it like you're convinced. All right, here we go again. I live securely in God's grip because he chooses me, redeems me, and holds me. Man, that's that, we want that to just ring true in our hearts today. That's our life message for today. And so I'm right now invite you to open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. So whether you're online or here with us now, open up to Romans 8, uh, 28. Just a reminder that if you're here and you don't have a Bible, and you don't have a Bible application on your device, uh, get to the information center at some point. We'd love to give you a Bible for free. But we're going to find ourselves in Romans chapter 8, and we're going to start with verses 28 and move through the next 10, 11 verses. And before we do so, would you just pray with me, please? God, Heavenly Father, I thank you for the room full of people that are here and for those who are watching online right now. God, thank you for the stories that are behind each face and name and how you have been and are and will continue to work in their lives. And God, whether we are secure or insecure in our relationship with you, we come with the equal need to be reminded of the strength and power of your love and the hold of your grip. So God, uh, we come hungry. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. We do pray for sports camp uh, this coming week. We pray for the the needed workers uh, that we still need to get, that they'll come online in the next several hours. We pray for the families and the children that are coming, that their lives will be changed because of the power of the gospel. We pray for those young minds and hearts that will hear the gospel for the first time. And pray that uh, the root of the message of your love and forgiveness will will, um, transform those young hearts and they'll have lasting fruit. So God, we give you this time, we give you this week. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Amen. Let's look at that first understanding. I live securely in God's grip because he chooses me, because he chooses me. Join me in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. We're just going to move through these next 10, 10 or 11 verses. And we know that those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, I just started with Romans 8.28. I actually taught on that passage, uh, that verse, last week. I invite you to listen or watch from last week. The bottom line is, hey, if you love God, you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, hey, anything that happens in your life is going to have good fruit somehow. But it just felt abrupt to start with 29. But what we do see in 29 is this understanding of a doctrine that's known as election or predestination. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here now with that because we're actually going to spend more time on it next week. Because Romans chapter 9 is really entirely about the understanding and a little bit more insight into election and predestination. But what we can know for now that's very important is this, that when you come to the place where you trust in Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus is God in the flesh, and you trust in the work of Christ, that his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave offer all of mankind um, you know, uh, forgiveness and mercy and grace and relationship with God, when you come to that point, it's actually because God chose you. It's not because you chose him. It's very contrary to what some of us sometimes think. 
sometimes I think, okay, I looked at all the options out there, all the religions out there, and I looked at all the cards on the table, and I thought, I picked the Jesus card, you know? That, that's, I, I'm going to try this Jesus thing. But when you really dig into understanding Scripture and you understand any, any choice that you have in choosing God is really a response to him already picking you in advance. It, it's just really a mind blower because there's this unique mysterious dance between the freedom that we have and yet God's divine will and election and predestination. But he chose you. I mean, that's exactly what he told the disciples. I mean, when you look at uh, John 15, 16, Jesus told the disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. You know, when Jesus picked his disciples, he didn't just stand before a bunch of people and go, all right, I need 12 volunteers. Any takers? You know, a couple guys, Peter's like, hey, come on, John, let's, you, know, you know, Andrew, let's go. Um, he sought them out. He, you know, walked along, you know, the, the, the shore of Galilee. Hey, John, Andrew, you know, come here. Hey, James, John, come here. Hey, Matthew in the tax collector booth, you come here. And he, he handpicked them. And that same dynamic, that same understanding rings true for us. That God, before the foundation of the world, predestined, designated salvation for us. And so when you look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, it speaks to that. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Like, let, that, let that just blow your mind for a minute. That when you come to the place of believing in Jesus, it's because God had already chosen you in advance. Like for us, a lot of you know that we adopted our third child, uh, Faith, from China three years ago. And when you think about the dynamics of that, like before Faith even realized that we existed, before she ever got a picture of the family that was going to come pick her up, before she ever, you know, walked into our arms when we said, come to your mom and dad, before she had any clue, we had already picked her. We were sent an email, here's this, here's this girl, we said we want her, and, and we started making all the, pa- the paperwork happen, the finance, finances got provided, we booked our plane tickets, you know, we were in China before she even had a clue we were there. Next thing you know, this little orphan girl is able to walk into an arms of her mother and father forever. But we had picked her long before she ever had that moment. That's the same thing for you. God had you picked out before you even had a clue. And he had your room decorated in heaven. He knew exactly when you were going to pick him, you know, if you will. He knew exactly when you were going to respond. He, he knew what was going to happen. He knew how all the conversations and the stuff in your life were going to play together. He knew you'd be sitting here today, hearing the opportunity, and you would respond or where, where you were 10 years ago or 10 weeks ago or whatever. And the reason that's so important to us is going, when God chooses you, that should give you this incredible security. Like God picked me. I hated in school in the lineup when it's time for kickball or whatever sport to get picked. Didn't you? Right? It's like, all right, line up. Like, oh, here we go. I'm going to be last. You know? And it's like, oh, I'll pick you and I'll pick you and I'll pick you. And of course, you know, the people picking are like, okay, who's going to do good? Like they're trying to pick their friends or who they think is going to do best. And so if you're last, it's like, you know, you know, whatever. And, and, and I hated that. But God doesn't do it that way. He chooses us. Why does he choose us? I love what verse 30, go back to verse 30 here. We don't want to miss this. Why? What was his purpose in choosing us? To be conformed to the image of his son. To become like Christ. 
to be like Christ. You know what that means? It means that he is working this, this out in you. That when he chooses you and brings you in, he's working on you to make you more like Christ. And why that's so important in the area of security is because God will not abandon his projects. I don't know about you, but man, my house has got a long list of unfinished projects. Like, just like, oh yeah, I'll finish pulling the other half of those weeds sometime in the future, you know? Or, or I think I still have a piece of molding above one of my doors. It's been like gone, you know, it's been, like for two years it's been, you know, I need to find it and put it back up. Like there's, there's all these unfinished projects. I, I, I've abandoned some of them. I've gotten distracted. God isn't going to get distracted from you. He's not going to abandon working on you. We see this promise in Philippians 1. Chapter 6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Man, if, if God chooses you, and he chooses you so that he can conform you to his son, he's not going to stop working on you. And he's not just going to one day in frustration throw up his arms and go, I'm done with you. He's just going to keep working it out, keep working it out until we see here that we're glorified. You see this progression of salvation that when you trust in Christ, God's going to see this process of salvation all the way through the completion. Look at the process as we looked in those verses. He predestined you, which means he chose you. He called you to faith. He called you to respond. You, when we say, Jesus, I need you, it's a response to the gravitational pull that God has put in us to come to him, that he called us. And then he justified you, which means he made you right with him. That's where we got the name of the series, that you're made right with God. And once you're made right with God, it's a permanent state. It's a permanent state. It doesn't change. It's not temporary. It's not like a trial offer, you know? When you're justified, it's a permanent state, and he will finish his touch of glorification. That one day at the resurrection, we're going to have new bodies with him and a new heaven and a new earth forever. God will not abandon his projects. And so some of you, man, you, you come in here, you're watching online, and you're plagued by the fear that God will let go of you that you'll mess up so much that he'll be done with you or that he'll reach a limit and just cut you loose. But you have to keep coming back to this true north understanding that you are secure in your salvation when you come to Christ, not because of your faithfulness, but because of God's faithfulness. It's backwards. We think, I'm going to do something that's unfaithful and then God's done. And so therefore you are trusting in your faithfulness to be made right with God. We don't trust in our faithfulness to be made right with God. We trust in God's faithfulness. And God is what? Faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. And so, yes, he will discipline his children for unholy behavior, but he will not sever the relationship with unholy behavior. He's going to keep working on us. So, when you know that God's chosen you to respond to his invitation of love and mercy and grace, you can be secure in his grip. He's not going to let go of you. You can live securely in God's grip because he chooses you. He chose you yesterday. He chose you today. He'll continue to choose you tomorrow. Also, we can live securely in God's grip because he chooses me and he redeems me. He redeems me to buy back, right? Look at uh, verses 31 to 34 with me. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? 
who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. I love how this little portion starts with this question, what um, can we say to these things? Of course, instantly, like, what things are you talking about? You know, you got to keep looking backwards. Well, really, everything's said in Romans so far, but specifically with some of the themes that we've seen in Romans 8. And if you do a quick flyover of Romans 8, you remember some of these themes. Those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation for them. If you've trusted in Christ for forgiveness, you're a beloved child of God, adopted to his family, written into his will for eternity. That Jesus has brought us from freedom from sin and domination of the flesh. Yeah, sure, I still battle with the flesh, but ultimately it will not have the victory. That Christ has freed me from being mastered by my flesh. The flesh might have little victories, but it's lost the war in Christ. Um, That the Holy Spirit of God lives in us and intercedes for us, that although we live in a fallen and broken world, there's a day when God will return and restore all things, and while groaning and longing for that to come in fruition, we can all endure through Christ. We talked last week about grit. You know, it's almost like the key word last week was grit. The key word this week is grip, you know? And so we're looking at this. So in light of all those things, Paul's saying, what's our conclusion? If all those things that we just talked about, all those themes that we've been talking about, what's our conclusion of this? What can we say? If God is for us, who could be against us? And the concept there is not that you'll never have anybody against you, but that anyone who comes against you can't succeed. There'll be no success in coming against you because of all that God's done. So if God is for you, who can be against you? Who's going to win? Who's going to have victory? And of course, uh, he talks about Christ. Who can judge us because of what Christ has done? He says, we're going to look no further than the cross of Christ as our primary example. And so on the cross of Christ, um, God redeemed back to himself a dirty, broken humanity. He reconciled back to himself his lost and estranged children through the blood of Jesus. He would not do that if he planned on discarding you because you didn't perform right or because you messed up every now and then. Uh, You only redeem that which has value. And so when we look at the extent of God's expression of value to us, we look at the cross and goes, there is no higher value. There's no higher value. Who in this room would sacrifice their child for someone else to live? Like seriously, all of you that are parents right now or grandparents, like if, if, if you could give the life of your child or your grandchild just to benefit a few other people, would, would you even consider it? We're like, no way. Why? Because that child has such tremendous value. Look, God gave his son for us. And now Jesus intercedes for us through his work on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. Your soul's secure in God's grip. It's redeemed. Once you profess faith in Christ and out of understanding of the cross and the resurrection, you, you move forward. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. If God's giving you his son for salvation of your soul... Will he withhold from you anything else you need? Will he actually withhold from you anything else you need? Will he not give us the wisdom, the peace, the hope, the joy, the strength we need to get through this fallen world and this unpredictable life? No, he's not going to withhold it. Man, if he's going to give me his son, he's not going to withhold anything else that I actually need. We see a reminder of that in 2 Peter 1.3. It says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. 
God has given me everything I need in this life and the next. He's withheld nothing. The problem that we've talked about in the past is we redefine the word need. You ever notice that? We, we say, God, you haven't given me what I need. I need that job. I need that person. I need this. I need this. I need this. And God's going, I know what you need a little bit more than you know. And we redefine the word need, and then we get mad at God when we insert want instead of need, and then we get mad at him when he doesn't deliver. This is what I find so curious as I was thinking about this concept, and I want to be delicate but gentle here, but also bold. I just find it curious that Christians can get all bent out of shape when our world attempts to redefine something like marriage, but then we reserve the right to redefine our own words for our own benefit. That's really interesting. Don't you think that? I'm going to get all mad because of redefining things. Oh, but I'm going to redefine the things I think I need to redefine. And God, I redefine the word need because here's what I need. I'm going, oh, wow, ouch. <laughs> no, God's faithful to provide what we need out of his love for his, his commitment to us. And then we start to look at all these questions that the Apostle Paul is throwing down. He, he's throwing these questions down. He's just hurling them down. He's saying, you know, who can be against us? Well, God will not withhold anything from us. And you look at these series of five questions there in this middle of Romans 8. I love what um, respected theologian and pastor and author John Stott said about these questions. He said, the apostle hurls these questions out into space, as it were, defiantly, triumphantly, challenging any creature in heaven or earth or hell to answer them or to deny the truth that's contained in them. But there is no answer for nobody and nothing can harm the redeemed people of God. I love these rhetorical questions that the apostle throws out there. Now, we do have some adversaries. We've got three specific adversaries. We've got the world, which is a cultural adversary. We have the devil, which is a spiritual adversary. And we have the flesh, which is an internal adversary. And these adversaries do bring accusations against us often, right? They try to condemn us and shame us and neutralize us. They try to lie or destroy or accuse. But the reality is they can't win. They can't win. Oh, well, this person's a liar. You know, you know, you know the voices. This person's a cheater. This person's an adulterer. This person's a thief. You fill in the blank. You, you know what lie the accuser throws at you, I hope. I hope you know that when you're trying to get close to God and, and get close to God, that that voice that comes in says, you can't do that because you are a fill in the blank. That's not God's voice. Please hear that. That's not the voice of God accusing you because he's forgiven you of that in Christ. That's the voice of either the flesh, the devil, or the world screaming into your heart to try to neutralize you and distance you from God and, 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 and um, eat off your insecurity. It feeds off of your insecurity. You think that one day in the grand court of eternity, that one of the accusers is going to fling open the door and come up with some persuasive argument that's going to make God say, I'm done with this person. I'm done with this person. You're just waiting for that day. Here's, here's, here's the thing. You know the judge of the universe personally in Christ. And anytime the accusers come and say, ah, oh, but this person this and this person this and those voices start to, you know what happens? The defense attorney of all defense attorney gets up and approaches the bench and says, hello, Father. And then he shows him his nail-scarred hands. They pay the penalty 
for all the accusations being slung around in the room. And at that point in time, the accusers have to just be silenced. Because we know what happens here. That Jesus is the ultimate reflection of how much God loves you and holds you. And he is the example that shows us that what God has declared clean, no one can declare dirty. What God has said is free, they cannot enslave. What God has said is found, they can't say, no, it's lost. And so we can hold securely in that. No one can take us away from God's keeping power. One of my favorite verses and all these types of things is John 10, 28. And we look at the words of Jesus. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Look, if there's anyone here in this room or watching online that's plagued with the thought that God's just one day going to be done with me, commit that verse to memory. If you've given your life to Christ, if you believe in Jesus and who he is and what he did, he gives you eternal life. You will never perish. And no one can snatch you out of his hand. Now I can live securely in God's grip because he chooses me and he redeems me and he holds me like we just said. He holds me. These next verses are pretty stunning. Some of them have called them a hymn of assurance. But if you continue on with me in Romans verses 35 to 39, here's what we see. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And by the way, the Apostle Paul is speaking from experience here. These aren't just ideological thoughts. As it's written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation would be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, when you read those verses, something should happen inside of you. It almost should feel like a, ah, God has you. God has you firm in his hold if you're in Christ. Here's where we get a little bit confused, though. It says, wait a second, if God loves us and God won't let go of us, and if God's for us and we're victorious in Christ, then how comes it feels like, so how come sometimes it feels like we're losing? How come it seems like Christians are being marginalized and villainized for their beliefs? How come, how come we still live in a time where there's an extensive amount of Christians being persecuted all over the world, martyred for their faith to this day? If, if all this stuff is true, how can that be? How can someone who is considered a sheep going to the slaughter also be called someone who's more than a conqueror? Like, I don't get that. Well, it doesn't reveal any contradiction on God's part. It just reveals a lack of the understanding of suffering on ours. We don't understand suffering and how God uses it. How many times have you heard someone say this? I know as a pastor, and I know the pastors on the staff have heard people say this a lot. I just want to be more like Jesus. I hope you've said that. It's a great thing to say. I, I, I just want to be more like Jesus. And I know what we mean by that. I want to be loving. I want to be compassionate. I want to be dedicated to, to holy living. And I, I, want to, I want to be used to help change lives. We say, I want to be more like Jesus. But it's like, wait, would you just stop and really think a little bit longer about what you're saying? Let us review the way the masses treated Jesus. Let us review 
the last hours of Jesus. Now, when you say, I want to be like Jesus, are you excluding that part? Are you somehow thinking, I'm going to be the exception? I mean, never mind that they persecuted Jesus and they crucified Jesus. Never mind that they basically killed all the disciples. Never mind that they've been killing and persecuting Christians for centuries. I somehow, in 2015, I'm going to be the exception. No, it reveals our lack of understanding of suffering and how suffering is part of being made like Christ. Like we saw in that first part of this passage, being conformed like Christ. You can't leave suffering out. And learning how to suffer while trusting God out and still somehow be conformed into the image of Christ. You know, when you look at verse 36 about the sheep and the slaughter, that's a quote out of Psalm 44:22. It's an Old Testament quote. It's just a reminder that the people of God have and will always be abused, mistreated at the hands of people who don't know the Lord. That's our spiritual legacy. You look at other verses like Philippians 1.29. For it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also what? Suffer for his sake. And we go, I get to believe in him. Woohoo! Suffer for his sake. Time out. Let's talk about that. Is that going to hurt? Is that going to be inconvenient? Am I going to have awkward moments with anybody? Does that mean I actually might like not get to marry that person because they don't love Jesus or they don't like me loving Jesus? Does that mean I might actually have to change my job or lose my job because you know I'm standing for my faith? Does that mean I'm going to have you know discomfort? Like what does this? What does suffering mean exactly? Can you just define that? You know, can we get a little clause on that so I know what's going on? We see in 2 Timothy three twelve, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ. Jesus will be what? Persecuted. Now, if you look at a verse like that, pretty basic math here. If I try to live godly for Christ, I'm going to be persecuted on some level, maybe mild, maybe major. If I've been a Christian for many years and I can't think of any moment in my life when I've had some degree of persecution, maybe I don't really desire to live a godly life in Christ. Maybe I'm too quiet. Maybe I'm too timid. Because If that's going to happen for those who live in Christ, then where's it happening in our life? No, we we can embrace suffering as part of growing in Christ. It doesn't mean God's abandoned us when difficulty comes. Suffering doesn't remove faith. Suffering reveals faith. When the world, when the circumstances when the persecution increased, when the heat's turned up, it reveals our faith. It shouldn't remove it. You know, I was at a, uh, the, the Southern Baptist Convention, Great, Great Commission Baptist Annual Convention about five, six weeks ago. And while there, I got to hang out with some other pastors from Northeast Ohio for a little bit. And during that time, a, a pastor named John showed up. And John shared a story. You know, we're always hearing what the media, and we're always seeing what the media puts that what's going on in this world, we, we don't always get to see the other behind-the-scene behind things. And John shared a story of a friend of his who's a pastor and a missionary in the Middle East. And this was just recently an event that happened, and he shared it with us. He wanted to encourage us. I think it'll encourage you. And this pastor, missionary friend in the Middle East, one day had the opportunity to lead a, a very radical Muslim man to Jesus. He converted and gave his life to Christ. And, and, and a little bit later... Um, uh, this pastor missionary got a call from this man that converted. He said, I want you to meet me at this house shortly. I said, okay. 
And so he showed up to this house that was packed full of people, mostly radical Muslims. And in the middle of the room was this man that had just given his life to Christ and his wife next to him. And next to them was a tub of water. And this man said, Pastor, I'm about to share my story to all these people of coming to Christ. And afterwards, I want you to baptize me here and my wife. And the pastor's going, I I don't know if I can do this. If I do this, these people may actually kill you. And he goes, I don't care. I will not be denied the opportunity to share what I have found. And so the pastor missionary did so. And this man told his story to all his Muslim friends. And the pastor baptized him and his wife. And, And John shared that some of those men in that room did come to faith in Christ. He also shared that just a little bit later down the road, that man was indeed killed by some of the men that were in that room. And his wife and his children fled to Europe. And they're living there as refugees, but they totally trust Christ. And I, and I listen to that story, and I'm just going, man, what, how, how do we respond to those kinds of moments? What, what, what would I do if that was me? I'm like, oh, look, we've got a baptism coming up. And I don't mean to step on toes too bad, but um, we've got a baptism coming up. And, and I know some of you here, some of you online, some in our church, we've got a bunch of people here that say, I've given my life to Jesus, but I'm not getting baptized. And we've got a list of reasons why we wouldn't go public with our faith for Christ. Well, it's, it's an inconvenient date. I'm not sure what the weather will be like. I'm a little bit nervous about telling my story. You know, and, and like, some of these things are legitimate fears, fear of speaking in front of people. And some of them are just like, we don't want to be inconvenienced. And I'm going, I love the story of this guy going, he stood in front of a room of people who are going to kill him and wouldn't be denied the opportunity to go public with his faith. What stops us? What truly stops us from living boldly? Like God's got you in his grip and won't let go and you can just do and say whatever you can for Christ because the next world has such an incredible value in our spirit. Man, we gotta live like this. We can, we can move forward with faith. Now let's go back to verses 38 and 39. We don't need to be afraid. We can live as conquerors. We can live with this incredible love from Sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm convinced. And I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what fears you come with, legitimate or perceived. I don't know what voices are talking in your head or if you're listening to the voice that is talking in your head and heart. I just hope today that in the brief time that we've had, you can just go, wow, God loves me. And his love is unquenchable. And no one can take me from his grip. Nothing, no one, not even myself, can remove me from God's love and affection and forgiveness. He he chooses me. He redeems me. And he holds me. What's holding me back from living for him? I want to look at this phrase again with you guys. Let's just... Say this together right now. I live securely in God's grip because he chooses me, redeems me, and holds me. One more time. I live securely in God's grip because he chooses me, redeems me, and holds me. If you've come in here today and you're very secure in your relationship with God, I hope this was just fuel for your fire. And it just motivates you to continue to be faithful like you're being. 
If you come in today and you're a follower of Christ and you've just been struggling, you've been insecure, plagued with insecurity, I pray that God's purged some of that out of your life today. And that what we've talked about and read will just be a healing ointment to your soul and will bring security to your life that you don't need to listen to those lying voices, but to the voice that says, I love you, forgive me, you walk free. And for anyone here who you've never entered into a relationship with Christ, like he's picked you, but you haven't yet responded to that call, but you're feeling that pull in your life today, we want to give you an opportunity to do that. At the, at the end of the last song, listen very carefully, at the end of the last song, we'd like to spend just a few minutes with you. And so while everyone else is walking that way, we're going to ask you to come walk to this corner. It's not for prayer. It's not to, I, I want to, you know, I have an agenda I want to talk. This is, I do not have Jesus. I want someone to tell me how I can have Jesus in my life. Come to this corner right after service, and we'll talk to you for just a few minutes and help you get started in that relationship. For the rest of us, man, we're just going to walk out of here and live faithful and live secure. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. God, thank you that your grip is stronger than we could ever imagine. Thank you that your grip is not based on our faithfulness or our behavior, but it's based on your faithfulness and your holiness. And so Lord, I do pray for all my brothers and sisters in here, God, that have been faithful. Lord, let them continue to be faithful. Let them continue to walk in security with their relationship with you. Boldness. And love and compassion just coming from their life as they get conformed to be more like Christ. God, for anyone here that did walk in just insecure and God, having a tug of war in their spirit all the time between assurance and salvation, God, would you just drive a nail in that coffin today, God, that they are yours and nothing is going to snatch them out of your hand. And Lord, right now for anyone here, God, that doesn't have a relationship with you, God, would you give them the boldness to walk from the balcony or the back row just over to the front of the room for a few minutes and chat with someone who can give them the best news they could ever have. So God, take us and use us. Lord, use these gifts we're about to give as well. God, use it to, to continue to grow the great news of your forgiveness and grace and mercy to all who need to know here in Northeast Ohio and beyond. We ask this in Jesus' name. We all sit together. Amen.